Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I am your co-host Dylan Stoll and I'm joined as always by my friend Michael Whifford. Hey yo. So today we are going to dive into a revisit of The Two Towers. The film, the extended cut, all the goodness that we grew up on. We did Fellowship of the Ring last week. We are going to jump in here and continue on with our trek through Middle-earth, going back to the two towers. But before we do, Mike, you have somebody you want to shout out. Yeah, so a huge thank you to Reanimated Podcast. Uh, They messaged us on Twitter. They were just saying, nice work on the rebrand. Looking forward to hearing more solid fantasy choices. Also wanted to submit another another under-the-radar series, C.S. Friedman's Cold Fire Trilogy. Uh, check it out. I, and I, I believe, Dylan, you have not heard this of this series either. I have not, no. So this is pretty exciting for us because a new series for us to check out. <laughs> we will add it to the add list. To the pile. <laughs> the ever-growing list, but we will add it to the list, definitely. So thank you, Reanimated Podcast. And if you're interested in any kind of zombie content, they're the place to go. So again, at Reanimated uh, Podcast on Twitter, Reanimated Podcast. All right, so we're just going to give out our usual reminders here of if you want to reach out to the show, you can do so by getting at us on Twitter, at Fantasy Rewind, or if you're on Instagram, you could reach us there as well, at Fantasy Rewind Pod. So before we dive into the two towers, we have a brief update on some Wheel of Time casting news. So Mike, why don't you take it away here? Yeah, so actually there's three bits here uh and this is all courtesy of the the wattseries.com uh so we have leia costa she joins season two of wheel of time right now her role is that of magdalena um and they are thinking that it could be a code name there seems to be a lot of speculation that she may be morgays queen morgays um we also have julian lewis jones who do be cast in season two and confirmed to be Bale Doman. And then we also have um, Katie, oh uh, gosh, I'm so sorry, Luang, and she's joining season two as Jessica. So, what are some of your thoughts there, Dylan? So, my first thought was on the Bale Doman casting, and if you see this actor's headshot, it screams Bale Domond, and I am so excited to see him. I always liked Bale Domond in the books, and I am excited to see him cast for season two of Wheel of Time. My other thoughts um, for the casting of Magdalena, again, more gaze was my first thought. We were talking right before this about like who that could possibly be, if it's a code name, if they're changing up someone's name. And my whole thought process on that was when Morgaze goes into hiding with the White Cloaks, or after she escapes the White Cloaks, um, and she's with Perrin, it kind of, she was using the name Megden as, like, her, her, like, undercover name. And so Magdalena, Megden, you know, kind of, I just saw that bridge, made that connection, and that's what I was going with there. But then I looked at the actress's headshot again, and I was like, this woman looks like she might be a little too young to be more gays, but we'll see. Um, they can do magic with the TV effects, so who knows what'll happen with there. And then 
And she was always described as being, like, young and very pretty. She was, so. yes. Very true. Um, but then moving on to Jessica, uh, this is Chow Chang from the Harry Potter fame. And <laughs> I, you know, I've always liked that series, obviously. Chow Chang was one of Harry's first loves and everything. And so seeing the actress who portrayed her and in an older uh, role here in a role that we don't really know anything about other than a throwaway line that is mentioned one time in the entire book series by Egwene um, as like a quote from Jessica. So it'll be very interesting to see who this character actually is. I pretty sure she's going to be playing an Aes Sedai, but which Aes Sedai that could be, we'll find out. And this brings up such a good point uh, you were talking about earlier, Dylan, that they are going to have to combine some roles. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see what characters make the cut and what characters kind of have their stories melded into another's or their roles, I should say, melded into another character's. And whether or not they're going to make some characters like possibly Jessica here uh, be specific for the show and have a purpose that maybe does two other characters kind of roles, at least at this juncture in time. All right. So without any farther delay, let's jump right on into the two towers here. So absolutely talking about Lord of the Rings, the two towers, the film by Peter Jackson. Uh, it's an adaptation of course, by the two towers by J.R.R. Tolkien, the second book mm -hmm. in the Lord of the Rings trilogy here. And also the second movie in the Peter Jackson trilogy of The Lord of the Rings. Mike, yeah. when was the last time you had watched The Two Towers before this last viewing? Oh gosh, uh, probably like six or seven years, six years ago, probably, honestly. Yeah, so for me, uh, I'd actually something very similar. Yeah. You. Oh, yeah, okay. like, I think I, I watched say, like, maybe four years ago, three years ago. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was going to say, I've watched The Fellowship actually more recently than um, The Two Towers. So, yeah, it, something that I noticed as I was rewatching this one, again, landscape, just gorgeous. A lot of the shots there were fantastic. Um, I will say, though, that some of the CGI in this uh, this viewing of it, I've just started realizing, especially like with Gollum and some scenes there uh, you could definitely be like oh yeah that's cgi <laughs> whereas like first time watching it and even like watching it before like i don't remember noticing it that much it was very seamless and at the time it was cutting edge mm. uh but i think it is starting to show its age a little bit and that's it's a little disappointing but at the same time doesn't really take away from it being a really good movie yeah so i just want to start off here by saying that like Fellowship of the Ring, I absolutely love Two Towers. I think it's a fantastic movie. Again, part of this amazing trilogy that was that was done. It was very groundbreaking at the time. Very influential for how fantasy was portrayed, both on the big screen and on the small screen. And it's one of the movies that I've seen so many times, even though it is so long. Because, you know, when we were watching the extended cut, it's almost four hours. <laughs> but, um, again, like, I, this is something I grew up with. This is something that, you know, is essential to 
like me being a Tolkien fan, me being a Lord of the Rings fan, just a huge part of all of that and bringing me into the world of fantasy. Um, so going back to the two towers for you, Mike, what was like your initial like expectation when you turned on the movie again? Because again, this is something of a, some bit of a rewatch for both of us. Cause we've both seen this movie many times. What was it like for you going back to the two towers? Not quite as nostalgic as the fellowship of the ring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to be completely honest. I mean, everything in the fellowship just hits like the music, the scenery, like all of that. It's like, coming back into this world that I love. Whereas the two towers, it's a lot more that gritty, uh, the, it's, it's the war. It's Mm -hmm. really the first part of the war. And so it's, you see a lot of characters going through these really emotional times and you can't help, but like, as you're going into it, be like, I know bad, even as a rewatcher, I know bad things are going to happen here. Um, some of this is going to be a little upsetting or like conflicting for me as a viewer and for these characters, so it was it was kind of cool to again jump back into it and me having my own past feelings and beliefs about it and then to watch it again and some of those to change or new real realizations to come to light as I'm watching it in a more mature I guess age. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yes, I guess so like 30 31 versus like 13 so <laughs> definitely a more and six in like 14 15 all the way up to like 22, yeah, definitely yeah, a more mature age um but i <laughs> i want to like just jump in with what you said there because fellowship of the ring is like that nice like reintroduction into the world of middle earth you have like the start of the entire series there introduction being introduced right into the shire again like going on this nice journey and then by the time that the Fellowship of the Rings ends, you have that giant battle with Urukai, Boromir dying, um, Frodo and Sam escaping, like your first like real war, or, like opening blow of the war of the ring right there. Mm-hmm. And then Two Towers picks back up on that feeling. Like oh, yeah. it can stays right there with like that, the marching of the war, the opening scene of the Urukai running with Merry and Pippin and Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli chasing after them. You know, it is all about the opening blows of the actual War of the Ring for me. And it just picks up. Mm -hmm. It just, it just builds on it because now you have, because before, like, you never saw, like, the Urukai, the orcs really terrorizing Middle-earth. I mean, you had, like, flashes and images, like, when Galadriel, when uh, Frodo looked in Galadriel's thing of the Shire getting enslaved and all that, but this was, like, the first time you're seeing, like, okay, they're attacking these towns. They're just killing everyone. And it's like, oh, crap. Like, this is this is a big deal. And then you're, you're also seeing the power of Saruman mm-hmm. and how he's influenced this entire country and led them to really affect almost ruin. And I think this is where you start to see the stakes and how, like, mankind is almost not on their own here. There's no dwarves. And, I mean, yes, you have the elves come... Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> but correct correct me if I'm wrong. That didn't happen. That's in... that's correct. But we'll we'll get to that mm-hmm. yeah, later okay. on. Sorry, I didn't want to get too wrong. Yeah. But um, you know, you have man basically by themselves and trying to fend off this great evil, uh, and it, it just it really sets the tone right there in the first little bit about what's 
at stake. Totally agree. Like, this, to me, is your first glimpse of the horrors of war in Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. You have the Urukai and the the men of the West, the wild men of the Westfold, uh, going in and raiding Rohan, killing people, like civilian people, and like you said, enslaving, eating, all kinds of bad stuff going on there with them. Um, but before we get any farther, like I don't think we can ignore the opening scene of Gandalf fighting the Belrog as they plummet oh, yes. anymore. So. Uh, what are your thoughts on that particular scene? So, it, I mean, it's re- it is really cool. Again, it, you know, CGI age-wise, like, definitely saw felt that a little bit more this time, whereas, like, I know the first time I watched it, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. <laughs> uh, and it is still really cool. Such a neat scene, and I love that it calls back to that, even as it, like, the camera is go, like going around the mountain and you hear those faint whisperings of what happened in the first movie. It's just like a gentle reminder of what was lost. And then going into, um, you know, Gandalf's fight with a Balrog and it, it is really cool. And just like these really, this giant battle of good versus evil. And it really shows you how powerful Gandalf was, uh, which you, I mean, again, like, Magic in the Lord of the Rings is very different than and things like Harry Potter mm-hmm. and even Wheel of Time. Like you don't see this big these big magical acts really with Gandalf and with Saruman. Uh, yeah, Saruman. <laughs> Talk about getting two people switched here. Uh, <laughs> um, you you don't really see their magic at all, and we talked about that with Fellowship when they were fighting. But it, this is really cool because you did kind of see some of that. Right, like, I'm just, like, thinking about the scene later on in the movie where Legolas and Aragorn and Gimli are like, Gandalf, why didn't you meet us? He's like, I was delayed. And, like, it shows, like, him, like, reaching up into the sky, having lightning strike his sword, and then he shoves the sword into the Balrog, and just yeah. how amazing, like, those scenes are. But I 100% agree with you. Like, the difference between the rules of magic within Lord of the Rings versus a series like Harry Potter, like Wheel of Time, where the magic users are a part of the world, they are helping to shape the world there through their use of magic. Whereas in Lord of the Rings, you have the wizards, both Saruman and Gandalf, impacting the world not necessarily through like straight up magic channeling or magic casting an everyday life or anything. They're not walking around and being like grow or die or anything like that using their magic powers. They're more yeah. using their magic. Like Saruman is using his magic to grow the Urukai. Gandalf is using mm-hmm. his magic to inspire the hope and the leadership. Um, within the race of man himself, like he does with Theoden, uh, banishing mm-hmm. Saruman's influence and Grima Wormtongue out of Rohan there. And just like, you have all of these great, like kind of subtle uses of magic going on where, yes, they're a part of the world, but they're not like going to lead the world. They're more there in an advisory role. And that's so different from so many other series that we've seen so far uh, you know, like the ones I mentioned with Harry Potter and Wheel of Time, where there the magic is out in the open and used in everyday life. 
So going to the bonus material scenes that we get there with Rohan and Theodred uh, going out to oh, fight yeah. and die there. What were your thoughts on just like that? Because like, I had some pretty like good thoughts about that, like rewatching it again, like because that is new material. And you don't really, mm-hmm. really think of that particular part as much in the importance of it. So what were your thoughts on those scenes? So, I mean, just like with the Fellowship, all the bonus content they added in, just it made characters' motivations and actions and consequences make so much more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, th- I think about what you're saying there with uh, Theoden's son, die, like them finding the body, him, them bringing him to the keep um which you don't really see in the regular uh version you don't see all of that but you do see like cream of worm tongue and like his influence a little bit with the king but like it lets you know like the king was already pretty much gone at that point mm-hmm. he's not going to see his son even though his son is still alive technically at the time and just how Grima didn't care about any, like, oh, the sun's back. Okay, cool. Like, maybe there's still some hope here or something. Like, no, he was he was just all about and already in um, Saruman's pocket. And also why, uh, oh, my gosh. What's the what's the nephew's Aomir. name? Aomir. Thank you. Sorry. Rohan. <laughs> friend, or people who care a lot about Rohan. They were ne- never quite my uh, favorite part of <laughs> the race of man uh but you saw like why he got so upset and like why he had to leave and you know you can really you can feel and justify his emotions now because you understand he found his cousin he brought him back and then he's seeing nothing happen he sees all the devastation all the killing his king doesn't isn't doing anything about it. And so now you understand why he's roaming the countryside trying to help, why he's not there. Whereas in the regular version, you get bits of that and he talks about it, but you're just missing some of those pieces. And I really think it helps a lot, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, to one of my, my actually one of my favorite characters in the Lord of the Rings series, uh, who's not like a main character, but uh, Faramir. And all of his like his backstory with Boromir and their father and like that dynamic. And you get so much more with that bonus content and it's just great. And the choice Faramir makes at the end, you suddenly realize one, how much he's giving up in terms of like his father's approval and like his brother's dream, but like why he would do that too, because he had a different view of his brother than his father did. And you see another side of Boromir too, which makes you like Boromir even more as a character and also understand just how much that ring just messes up people, specifically humans. Right. And like, so jumping back to Theodred and the conversation about the Rohirrim there, like to me, like the bonus content that was added in this particular part is almost essential because it builds up Grima to be more of a villain than it is in the regular edition here. You see Eomir find Theodred, bring him back to Edoras, and then you have Grima Wormtongue poisoning the mind of Theoden with Saruman's help, of course, and making him 
like, useless as a king, as a ruler, but also doing nothing to help Theodred, putting him out on, like, the slab to die, basically, and you don't see any medical attention being provided for him. You kind of get the sense that uh, Saruman and Grima wanted Theoden's line to fail, and it, of course, does once Theodred dies, and jumping ahead later, once Theoden dies in Return of the King, you have Eomer, who is, becomes king. And again, they're cousins, whatever, nephews to the king, but still, like, Theoden's direct line does fail, and that is a direct uh, repercussion of the influence of Saruman, the influence of Grima Wormtongue, and, mm. you know, the poisoning of the race of men, the poisoning of the Rohirrim, and making them much more impotent than they were um, under um, Aomir later on in the series there. But going to Faramir again, like, I'm cool jumping around, whatever, here. To me, Faramir, he shows all that is good within the hearts of men. He shows, like, mm -hmm. that, yes, men are flawed, because he captures Frodo and Sam Gollum, of course, but he also yeah. shows that men have strength, men have character, and like Sam says, you know, Thank you for, you know, like, letting us go. You showed your character, and it's of the highest order. Or something of those lines towards him when, at the end. and Because he's putting his exactly, life on the line. Exactly. He's putting his life on the line. He's like, if you let them go, your life is forfeit. And Faramir's like, well then, it's forfeit. They're gone. And it just shows you, like, how strong Faramir is as a character. How much good is in him. But also, how he viewed his brother as well. Like you said... Those scenes of Boromir and Faramir together working to, to, like, save Gondor, to save Osgiliath, you know, they are scenes that show you that Boromir is strong. Boromir is a good person and that he has these flaws within him that were brought out by the ring, by his father, by his father's corruption mm -hmm. um, using the Palantir. Talk about another Grima worm. Yeah. Uh, but you have Faramir showing basically the best in men as far as, like, what can be done with them as well. And, again, just yeah, a well, great example. Um, so moving on to the next bit I want to talk about with uh, the two towers here is moving on to the Ents. So what are your thoughts yeah. on, like, Treebeard, the wild uh, trees, and all of that stuff there? I mean, I think it... Like reading reading the books and watching the movies, like I always thought they were a great part of it, like a cool nod to like the old magic mm. that sort of inhabited the land. And I think the movies did a really good job. And I'm going to jump forward here when they brought in the elves. That's all I'm going to say. But like bringing in like the old magic, the old parts of the world, coming back, like kind of giving one last hurrah to help mankind yeah. in this struggle. And I think. That really sets it up nicely for the third uh, movie and book when it really is the time of man standing up for themselves and fighting when you don't have all of necessarily the older races and the older magic in the world assisting you as much. I think that's a great point because like you think about what the Two Towers actually represents and it is like the passing of the torch of the old magic, the old guard, of the elves, of the Ents handing over the future to the race of man because you have the elves at Helm's Deep, which we all know did not happen in the books. Um, but at the same time, it does show like 
that there was once an alliance between men and elves. We fought and died together. <laughs> Let us do that again. Like, it's it's so great. The camaraderie, like, especially if you look at it, and as much as Tolkien hated allegory, like, if, if you look at it as an allegory towards the World War One or World War Two, even, like, even though it was World War One, um, you have... The, all the countries coming together despite their differences to fight this great evil. And you have, like, in the, in the movie here, the elves, the ants, the hobbits, the dwarves, the humans, everybody coming together again to fight this great evil. And it just it's, it shows, like, the, the passing of that torch. And like you said, Return of the King is, like, the debut of man as the leading race in Middle-earth and their final um, assault against Sauron. But it's it's a great, great allegory, even though Tolkien hates allegories. <laughs> <laughs> so going on, um, I know we've talked about Helm's Deep a little bit here. Going on to Helm's yeah. Deep, what are your thoughts on, on Helm's Deep? The battle, the, the fortress, all of that good stuff there. Uh, I just got to shout out Gimli, and I, I forget the actor's name there, but he, it, and whoever wrote his lines, like, did a really great job of using him as a, um, as, as some humor to break some of that tension uh, throughout the movie. So the actor is John Rhys Davies. Yes, John Rhys Davies. Yes, he did. A, they did a really good job, and him and Legolas, you definitely got their friendship definitely uh, element kind of build up through this, and I really liked that element in this now focusing on the battle of helm's deep itself i think you know it is an epic battle like watching it the first time you're just like holy crap look at all those urukai yeah. <laughs> and like it was just it was epic and it's still epic um in so many ways yeah i mean so I when know. i'm watching that battle um, when the giant army of the Urukai get there, and the one guy gets on the rock, it's like, and like just like stands there smiling. I'm like, that dude is feeling himself right now. <laughs> He's got this gigantic <laughs> army at his back, and he is ready yeah. to take them on. And so, to me, like, I absolutely love the Battle of Helm's Deep. I thought it was it was so good, so great. Like you said, it was an epic fantasy battle. And it felt that way, too. The There are a couple things that they did in the movie, obviously, that are more on the comedic side or more on the entertaining side, like Legolas riding the Urukai shield like a skateboard down the stairs shooting his arrows. Um, all the countless the decapitations. Yeah, the kamikaze, the kamikaze jumping berserker uh, Urukai. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, just has funny. like 10 arrows on him, and he's just like, wah, wah, and goes and blows himself yeah. up to take out the wall. Um, but also the thing I want to point out for the battle of Helm's Deep is the roller coaster of emotions that happens when you're there. You have Legolas who is like starting to panic actually at the prospect of him dying there amongst them all, um, because he knows what's coming before the battle Mm -hmm. and he starts to despair and he has that conversation with Aragorn and he's like, Look around you, Aragorn. There's no way that this army of old men and barely trained boys can hold off this army of Urukai. And he's like, I'm not going to, like, why would you want to die with them? And Aragorn's just like, 
because I'm going to die as one of them. You know, I'm going to be there and I'm going to hold my ground and defend them. And also when Theoden later on starts to panic once the Helm's Deep has been breached and they're back within the the final like mm. fortress there, Aragorn's like, you want to die? You want to give up? Ride out with me. Let's take on these guys. You know, like, let's not stay here and die with a whimper. Let's go and get them. And then Gimli goes and blows the horn and the charge and then Gandalf and Aemir come raining down there. Such an epic scene. But shows Aragorn's yeah. growth and like his exactly his role as a what I wanted to bring up was just like how much of a leader Aragorn has become like from the the guy who's mysteriously smoking his pipe in the corner and Fellowship of the Ring to the guy who's not willing to let these people die and like will stand up against unsurmountable odds and go after it and just shows Aragorn's growth as a character his steps taken to become Elisar, to become the leader he will be, and everything. It was it was very good. Um, I will say as well, going back to the Ents and everything, the, the reintroduction of the scene from the books where when the Urukai are trying to escape Helm's Deep and they run into the forest of Fangorn, that of the wild trees that had moved to surround them there. I always loved that part in the books. So like, Seeing yeah. that added to the extended cut was very nice. Well, it just makes so much more sense. Because it's not, like, in the regular version, like, you don't really know... Yeah, you don't know what happened. What happens to him. Uh, whereas, like, that it, it didn't really add too much time to it, but it just, you know, makes so much sense there. Uh, and also explains, like, why his forces are depleted and why they don't see it later on in the Return of the King. Right, and so... we are, oh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, we have to definitely talk about, though, Gandalf. Oh, yes. And the charge. I mean, that scene's iconic. You know, look look for me on the fifth day. Look to first the east. First light on the fifth day. At dawn, look yeah, to the east. Light. <laughs> just, yeah, that blinding light and that charge from the Rohirrim mm. just crashing into the Urukai and breaking them. Just so, so good. Um, a little bit of an aside here. I found out that the uh, the War of the Rohirrim, right, which is going to be an animated series uh, coming out mm-hmm. here, is not going to be produced by Amazon. It is going to be produced by Warner Brothers and New Line and is going to be yeah, a oh. canon part of this trilogy. Even though it's going to mm-hmm. be um, animated, it's going to be a part of the actual, like, lore of the the film trilogy here which i thought was really cool that's awesome when will that be like when when would that be in the timeline would that be like in between no 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 no. so what this is is this is the story of helm hammerhand and the founding of helm's deep and so it takes place well before um fellowship of the ring it's i don't know if it's before or after um, the the battle with Sauron of the the last alliance or anything like that. But oh, I'd say it's probably after that. I would assume so. But either way, I um, am definitely excited about that. Like, uh, that has me so pumped that it's going to be by New Line and yeah. by by Warner Brothers and and it's going to be canon for that. So I, I am so excited. <laughs> <laughs> that is exciting. And so I guess that's going to be interesting because it's the War of the Ring, uh, the Rings of Power. 
while it's going to be you know based into Tolkien verse, it's not necessarily canon with correct. It's these it's not stuff, necessarily so be... the same story as what we've seen portrayed already. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, beat by beat, it might have some elements that feel similar, but Rings of Power is not meant to be a prequel to the Peter Jackson trilogy. Oh. It's so sad. Wish it was. I know, me too. I know, separate studios and all that, yada, yada, yeah. yada. I'm sure Amazon has enough money they could just buy one of those <laughs> if they wanted to. Um, getting back to the two <laughs> towers, though, um, jumping into here, there are some questions I wanted to ask you about it. So, first of mm-hmm. all, what were your final thoughts, like, you know, after you finished watching the movie, what were, like, your closing thoughts on it? Good transition from The Fellowship of the Ring to The Return of the King. And it amps up that tension and what's at stake. And so it really sets The Return of the King up nicely. I do find that during The Two Towers, and even like in our conversation, we didn't really talk about Fredo or Sam and their journey with Gollum or Smeagol. Um, Even though like, I I do have to say, Smeagol's character in this movie, I did like that back and forth with him, kind of the roller coaster ride. Like, first he's evil, you're diving down then all of a sudden it's like he's redeemed he believes in frodo and he's good and then when frodo tries to save his life at um the pool there then goes downhill fast <laughs> and he gets captured <laughs> captured by the gondorians he is like oh frodo is evil i'm going to you know be evil again myself i don't know i, I think it it really for the for frodo and sam and Gollum and smeagol it really set up nicely for it really set up, I guess, more of the dynamic between Sam and Frodo and how if Sam wasn't there, Frodo probably wouldn't have gotten nearly as far. Sam is such an integral part to this entire story. Definitely. And uh, I'll be honest with you, like, I never, watching it before and even reading the books, like, he's such a side, he's a side character, but like... So important, though. You really, yes, so important. And like... I just feel like I've never really acknowledged his importance before and like I'm really seeing it and paying attention to it. I guess that's the big thing is I'm paying attention to it. Well, so there's a there's a scene in the third movie that I'll talk about when we have that discussion. But yeah. um, definitely agree 100% on Sam. What I want to do as well is I want to give a huge shout out to Andy Serkis, the actor who voiced Gollum, did the motion capture oh, for Gollum. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. He is amazing. I absolutely love it. And like I I sent you like the clip of Andy Serkis reading <laughs> The Lord of the Rings and oh my god, it's so great. Like if you haven't seen this, go to YouTube, type in Andy Serkis reading Lord of the Rings and it is so phenomenal. You see him doing the Gollum of uh, switches and Smeagol switches like right in stride and oh dude, it's so good. Um, but going off of what you said there, I completely agree with what you said. The Two Towers, to me, is a great transitional piece from that start of a hero's journey in Fellowship to like that final stand moment in uh, The Return of the King, where we didn't talk about Frodo and Sam at all. We talked about a lot of like the race of man. We talked a lot about like the importance of the Rohirrim, the Gondorians, Faramir... Um, even give Boromir a little bit of a shout out back from the dead. Um, <laughs> but talking about like the transitional piece there, I think that without that buildup that you have from Lord of the Rings, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, to the Return of the King portion of the of the trilogy, 
that it would not really work quite as well. It would not work the same because of the way that the two towers just builds and builds and just keeps escalating the stakes. And so you get to that part where you're like, okay, like it's, it's going down now when they're at the, yeah. the final segment there. Um, so I wanted to also ask you, what was your favorite scene from the two towers? I mean, it's easy to say Helm's Deep and that whole battle, but mine definitely, I kind of led into this before, but I think the Faramir and Boromir scenes were just, just so great because you see Boromir in such a different way and you see Faramir and how much he looks up to his big brother and it makes you just realize so much about Faramir, Boromir, and like their father, which you'll see more of in The Return of the King, as well as the interactions between Frodo, Sam, and Faramir later on. Um, I, I just, even though they weren't huge scenes or anything by any means, I just found myself like just keep thinking about them and just like, wow, that was so well done. Um, what about you? So my favorite scene uh, is actually a scene that we from uh, the Adventures of Sam and Frodo and Gollum, where you have <laughs> the scene where Smeagol and Gollum are having that argument with each other late at night in the puddle there, and Smeagol's oh, like, "Master's our friend. You don't have any friends." You know that whole conversation, <laughs> and at the end where yes. Smeagol's like, "Gone, gone, Gollum, gone. Smeagol is free." Like, just, like, that yeah. whole, like, back and forth showing the demons of Gollum and Smeagol, you know, just, it it shows that inner struggle that he has, and just the talent of Andy Serkis on full display there. Like, I love that mm. scene. That scene's really great. Um, I also do, of course, really love Helm's Deep. I think that is, a, again, a, the canned answer. It's, it's great. Yeah, um, it is great. But... I also really like the scene where Pippin and Mary, after the Ent moot, they're all disappointed, and um, Treebeard's about to like take them home, and Pippin's like, well, let's go south. You see, the closer we are to danger, the farther we are from harm. And like tricks, Pharaoh, <laughs> tricks Treebeard into going Pippin. there, Love and Pippin. then he sees the destruction that Sauron has wrought on Fangorn Forest, and just like, that mm -hmm. scene is great, because like, the emotions that you see Treebeard actually have towards his fallen trees. And then he's like, it's on now, Isengard, and heads on down there. I love that scene there, um, you know, with the Ents attacking Isengard. Um, it's, it's such a good movie, and it's such a good transitional piece. I feel like if I had to say, like, on the sliding scale of Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson trilogy, if it's first, second, or third for me... I don't know if it's second or third. I honestly don't. Um, I really like Fellowship the Best, uh, as we've established last uh, podcast here, but I think that Return of the King is very solid as well. I I just think the transitional piece from um, Fellowship to Return of the King with two towers there, I don't know. I think I have to slot it in at three for me. Like It's my least favorite of the trilogy, but it's still so solid and so really good. Really good. I think I'd probably have to lean that way. I'll have a better inkling after I rewatch Return of the King. So I'm excited to do that and kind of get that full <laughs> rewatch in. And then yeah, we'll have to decide what we're doing after that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So talking about stuff you didn't necessarily like as much for uh, Two Towers, I know you mentioned the CGI 
um, kind of yeah. was a little spotty here and there. And I mean, for the most part, I think it was fine. But there were were some mm-hmm. moments where it was a little spotty. But again, that's going to happen to really anything with with agents. There's really story wise and like portrayal wise nothing that glares out to me as like something I I disliked. Maybe just some of the cheesiness was, was like a low spot, you know. Yeah. There was some yeah, some a little bit of cheese there. But um I do think there was some just small maybe mistakes or oversights. So for instance, like the elves showed up to Helm's Deep, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the end and I and even watching it the first time and I've always thought this is weird. You never seen right, it. Right. Yeah, I felt the same like way. After, it's like after they what happened? <laughs> did they all die or what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like did you just like oh, okay, all of you guys just stay out there and you're going to die first and we'll save all of Rohan. So something uh, I wish that was done was like it it did show you like what happened with the elves afterwards. I do wish like in the series in general that we got a peek of what was going on in the northern kingdoms. Like not just of from Gondor's perspective, but what was going on with the battle in the Iron Hills with the Dunedain, the dwarves, and the Easterlings, and everything going on up there, the elves, and yeah. all of that. I wish that we got a little peek of that in the extended cuts. Maybe they'll do another animated movie. Oh, that'd be and great. Focus on that. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. But... So, was there anything else you wanted to make sure we got in about the two towers, or? What are your, if not, like, what are your closing thoughts on the movie? Um, it's fantastic. Uh, a great transition between Fellowship and Return of the Kring, King. Kring. Um, I think that's pretty much it, honestly. I think, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, again, agree with you. I don't have anything much else to say about Two Towers other than it's part of my favorite trilogy of all time. Part of, you know, the best trilogy of all time. And uh, if you have not watched the Stephen Colbert number one Trilly video, I highly, oh, highly recommend you do so. It is Hilarious. so good. Um, and so what it is, is it's a, a rap of why Lord of the Rings is the best trilogy, including Stephen Colbert and a bunch of people from Lord of the Rings trilogy, including some high elvish rapping, which is amazing. So... <laughs> Um, I highly recommend checking that out. Other than that, again, like you said, watch Two Towers. Love it. Um, moving on to Return of the King, and then we'll figure out where to go from there. Yeah. All right. Well, this is Two Nerds signing off. We'll see you later. See ya.